0: Hello, and welcome to More Like This, the present company miniseries bringing you exclusive conversations with the directors of three of Netflix's biggest films of 2021, The Power of the Dog, Tick, Tick, Boom, and The Lost Daughter. Today, we're at the London Hotel in Los Angeles, about to hear from Maggie Gyllenhaal on her feature directorial debut, The Lost Daughter. This conversation will be led by actress and filmmaker Olivia Wilde, who made her own directorial debut back in 2019 with the beloved coming-of-age comedy, Booksmart.
1: Hello. She's coming out. I was going to give her a big intro. This is Maggie Gyllenhaal, writer, producer, and director of The Lost Daughter. Well, this is a real honor for me um, Uh, My name's Olivia, and I'm really very excited to sit and talk to you about this. I was just telling Maggie that the first time I watched the film, I was at home, like so many of us have watched most content for the past couple years. And to watch it here in a theater was so excellent. It was so gratifying. And it was allowing me to appreciate even more the sound design in particular, and so many things. But just it proves why we must gather (laughs) in theaters to watch movies. Um, Which is not to say it didn't wallop me the first time I saw it. Um, And it's really tricky to know where to start with this because I'm so curious about your approach in terms of the adaptation. And maybe that is the place to start because I'm so curious, with a film that feels as authentic and organic as it does where each performer feels so intrinsically bound to the material i'm curious how your adaptation reacted to your casting how it all kind of evolved as you put it together starting with you know olivia in the lead role like how did you when adapting the material kind of allow it to transform into what these actors were bringing to it
0: um I think, uh, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to talk to you, too.
1: Um, uh,
0: Okay, so I think I tried to write. Did you write your films?
1: No, but my screenwriter and producing partner, Katie Silberman, is here, and she wrote both of the films. And so I've watched closely.
0: Yeah, I I tried to write a script that. was the kind of script that I would like to receive as an actress, mm. where um, I don't. Also, I don't. I don't like to watch films where what the scene is about is articulated in the scene. Mm. Um, if it's that easy to say what the scene is about, I don't really. I. I don't think it's. It's. It's nearly as interesting to watch. And the movies I love are ones where you're kind of going like okay, there are two people standing at a deli counter ordering a sandwich, but I think this scene is a seduction or maybe it's an apology or maybe for him it's a seduction and for her it's an apology mm-hmm. and and so I really didn't want anything to be literal. Mm-hmm. even things that are quite literal in the film like you know, when she says I'm an unnatural mother for example, that doesn't mean I mean like, that, that's a straight lift from Ferrante, that line. I think it's a brilliant line. Mm-hmm. And a couple of people that I really respect told me to cut that line because it was too literal. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't because I thought, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like it vibrates off itself, that line. What's a natural mother? What's an unnatural mother? How, what is this paradigm? How does this woman fit inside it? You know, so... I think the space that you're talking about for the expression of the actors is what I'm looking for as an actress when I look at a script. Can I is there a way for me to actually express myself and be a storyteller inside this? And then the real storytelling is happening between these actors who are embodying these characters around the lines. Mm-hmm. You know, so Dakota can say to Olivia, I like your bathing suit, you know, the first time she really opens her mouth. And of course, it doesn't just mean I like your bathing suit, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: and, And that's what I was trying
1: to create kind of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the subtext that is just all over, just like each scene is just dripping in it and the actors are just clearly encouraged to languish in it. And it's remarkable to see because I think so often as a director, you want the script to be a guide, but you know that what really will uh, translate to the audience is what isn't said and what is really felt, and that can't be faked. And every single performer in the film is just so clear and specific about their subtext. Um, And so it, it feels like it's just so delicious to kind of watch and imagine being one of your actors and being allowed to just play in that. And you're, you're so patient as a director, allowing them the space and time. I mean, Dakota's a great example because I feel like the way she holds her gaze naturally is something that I think many directors would cut away from, be intimidated by even. Um, I wonder if that has something to do with you being a woman. Maybe not. I try not to reduce all these things to like, and because a female filmmaker. Well, but, but I,
0: I think women make movies differently than men. I do think so. I think even though the vocabulary we're using at least for now, is that is an old one. Mm-hmm. I think we use it differently if we're being honest with ourselves. I not everyone agrees with me on this. And like I I mean I did this really interesting interview with Rachel Kushner, mm. who's like a brilliant feminist thinker and she was like, I completely disagree with you. Oh wow. <laughs> but I do think we we make our expression looks different. How could it not? You
1: know? Yeah. And it's interesting to think about how like one theme that I love in the film is how men... The double standard, of course, for fathers. And I thought about how connected that double standard was to the that of for female filmmakers. Like the idea that in many films about women, directed by women, there is a, a need to make women perfect, to make them lovable and right. And I love how you invite us to judge these characters... When then slowly, patiently revealing that we're actually judging ourselves by judging them, and it's like we recognize our own projection, and then then we (laughs) can like figure it all out.
0: I think. I think. Oh, I think so many things about this. Um, I think. uh, Let me get organized. (laughs) (laughs) I think that for so long, I mean, I saw really interesting movies that were centered around women with incredible performances most of my life uh, that were compelling to me, made by men mostly, um, but only, only showed like a small slice of my own experience. And so like, as I was growing up, I'd be like, Yeah, that feels right or that feels mostly right. I actually have all these other feelings too on the edges of this expression of what it's like to be a woman in the world that I never see put on screen. So is there something wrong with me? Mm. Like, am I too big? Are my feelings abnormal in some way or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that I even let myself think that it was more like, for example, when you see something that really does it like fleabag, I think, for example, you're like, I didn't even know I was starving for something like this, but I was, I was like dying of thirst and here you go. And I didn't even know I was missing this, you know? Um, Or I felt it when I saw the piano and I was really young, you know, like, man, I, I never seen anything like that before. And so I think, you know, yes, there are aspects of all of us that are nasty. And so when you see her be nasty, like she sometimes is, like to Ed Harris in the bar, he's so sweet and he's like coming on to her, I guess. I'm not quite sure. And <laughs> and then... And then she says, can I finish my dinner now, Lyle? You know, and she's like, but you see, she's like brave enough to feel ashamed for having been an asshole. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, sometimes we are. And so then to see that that she's not a bad person and she's, you know, and then, of course, there are much more aberrant things she does and really transgressive and things that cause huge amounts of pain. You know, you guys watch the movie, so I don't have to act like <laughs> we don't know she left her children. But, like, um, it caused almost unbearable pain yeah. to both her and her children. And yet I think she's a hero because... She's brave enough to go into the deepest, darkest, most painful shame. And that's where I
1: think usually there's a little bit of life. What's the line that, that is, is it an Auden line that's like where there is, if doubt isn't allowed, there is tyranny, if doubt.
0: Oh, from there.
1: Uh, oh, oh gosh. What is it? Hold
0: on, hold on. It'll come to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, um, uh, hold on, because you started it funny. I can't yeah, I can't. <laughs> True, <laughs> I messed it up. I can't. I'll, I'll find it. it yeah, right. That, that it's, that's right. It, it, it rises up against
1: you yeah. um, if you try to push it down. Absolutely. That's what's so heroic about her is that it's all—it's all there. I mean, she's striving for authenticity for something real for justice even the way she screams at the boys in the movie theater it's not right fix it it's not right she wants Dakota's character to leave don't live in this inauthenticity where you're hiding it's right. not going to get better do what you want i want you to do what you want because that's what she can tell herself right. is that she did that for that that honest thing and it was horrific and painful and she's drowning in the guilt of it but she didn't she wasn't inauthentic and i think she must cling to that and what's hard is that in this world it's like that doesn't necessarily win it's it's not like she did that and now she lives this incredibly you know
0: but i think she was on the verge of i think it was life or death when you meet her which is a great place to meet a character she's so anxious that she can barely walk down the street without feeling like she's going to pass out and and yet she's not insane yeah. she's not crazy like you and i know there's a whole uh tradition of movies about crazy women that that are also amazing movies yeah. like the best directors the best actresses but like there's some kind
1: of like porn or something mm-hmm. of crazy women well it's true i mean you think of like woman under the influence i mean uh, a yeah. woman on the verge of Universe breakdown yeah, a woman, woman, woman under, under the, the influence, influence. exactly yes. that there's a like a a, a tradition of exploring the more extreme version, or maybe it's when it bubbles up even more and completely becomes undeniable. But this stage, this this moment is something that we can all recognize having flirted with in our lives of, am I on the edge? Am I losing yeah. control? And what I find incredible about the two extraordinary performances of Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman is that to imagine what Leda must have gone through to go from being that young yeah, woman to then being that older version of herself, it's like we can fill in what happened in between. Yes.
0: And so this is something, I mean, well, I want to ask you some things too, but, um, (laughs) but I felt very strongly that I didn't care that, If they were similar at all, I told Jesse, like, if you want to dye your hair blonde, it's fine. Um, I don't care. I I don't they don't have to have an eye twitch or like a (laughs) neck tattoo, you know, because you're right. Because, well, first of all, I don't want to limit the expression of these incredible actresses. Plus, no intelligent audience. Like, no one who's not four is going to actually believe they're the same person. Like, we have <laughs> Jesse Buckley and <laughs> Olivia Colman. They're two people. So really what we're doing is, like, we're going to ask a intelligent, like, emotionally intelligent group of people who are interested in seeing a movie. If for the purposes of our movie, we can make a kind of poetic agreement that that they're the same person. And so then their expression is utterly free and then what happened and the secret that you guys don't know is that we share an editor um, and uh, but what I realized in the cut was exactly what you're saying like, mm-hmm. like um, the more different they are and Jesse is so buoyant and buoyant is the mm-hmm. word Peter actually mm-hmm. called her that like mm-hmm. you cannot hold Jesse Buckley down you know and and then Olivia has such a totally different complicated energy and how exactly how you got from there to there is a lifetime yeah
1: and it's like we feel that other performance that other character it's it's just as clear because they're so specific and so well defined we can feel what happened in between and it's yeah. though we've experienced that um yeah, and then when she loses that buoyancy and the idea of like the weight that's been she's carrying the baggage and then I mean the, all the symbolism of the real baggage and then when it's carried for her, when she kicks yeah. it down the stairs I mean yeah. and then like I mean, I've s- kicked my bags out. yeah, the stairs. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what <laughs> difference does it make? It's fine <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's really interesting in terms of the edit. you brought up Afonso Concava, so it's this incredible editor who really um I mean, it's interesting because in my experience, he allowed me to see a totally different dimension mm. of our film. Um, and specifically when it came to time cuts, going between time periods is one thing we have in common. And the idea that when you choose to cut to a different time period says so much, obviously we just experience everything in reflection of the moment before. And I'm curious how specific those cuts were in the script and or how much you changed that in the edit. Almost not at all. I mean, I felt,
0: as an actress, I always felt like when a script was was very solid, even in a generic way, which I hope my script isn't, but even a script that just has a clear structure, it actually makes space for the wildest expression. Mm. And if you're trying to use the script to, no, sorry, if the script doesn't, tell the story clearly and simply, then you have to do it with your work as an actor. Um, And so I really wanted to make sure that the script, like to me made emotional made sense in my unconscious really mm-hmm. I mean lots of things change in the cut massively but when the when the flashbacks happened yeah. didn't change and Fonzie actually I remember when Daya came in and he had put like all these flash cards up on the wall or um our our assistant had his assistant had uh, on the wall with like all the scenes and I was like they were behind me. I was like, "What is that?" And he said, "Oh, I think it might be helpful to us. We can move things around." And I was like, "Huh? I, I can't. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like, I just like flashcards, you know?" I was <laughs> like, "What? What?" And I don't, we we moved one. There was one scene we moved, um, and otherwise we cut things and we cut off a whole arm in the beginning of the movie, or not an arm, like a little like those things they carry around on a tray before you go to a, <laughs> in a fancy dinner. You know? There was a little beginning that like 20 minutes into working with him, we were both like, that's
1: bad. Let's get rid of that. I think that's the most satisfying feeling. Yeah, It just feels like cutting dead weight. Oh, like, yeah, but I was yeah.
0: like, oh, my God, we had no money. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, all <laughs> this. It was like a bunch oh, yeah. of locations yeah. that we just flashed to of her kind of before she goes on vacation. I was like, mm. fuck, I could have really used that money. Oh, yeah,
1: that's, that's <laughs> that pain that I know so well. But knowing that, like, that's part of the process, you had to film those things in order to understand it. Okay. I always wonder that. I always say, like, do you think we would have gotten here if we hadn't gone and shot that sequence that we've just cut? Would we have understood, or or does it ha- did it have to go there? Um, my sound mixer was recently telling me that he worked with Terrence Malick, and there was this four-page scene with incredibly written dialogue that the sound mixer, Skip, loved so much. And then when they got to mixing it, all the dialogue was gone. And he said, to Terrence what what happened to the scene he's like what do you mean the scene's there and he's like but the scene's gone all the lines are gone he's like well, the lines were just there for the actors <laughs> just so they would understand where to look and like they just needed to go through that process to understand the scene and I was like whoa imagine writing from that perspective well
0: you know what that's a lot I heard this story about Carol Churchill which I um I really loved I love her she's like one of my favorite playwrights um and this this guy who, who directs a lot of her work was telling me they were working on the scene of hers and they could not figure it out the two actors on stage in rehearsal were just like what's going on and she was in the audience and she said all right give me a minute and she wrote all this extra dialogue in between all the lines and then they read the scene and they were like oh it's amazing thank you so much for the rewrite and she said "No, no, no no you can't say
1: any of that uh, but those were just the steps to get there yeah, I love I loved that. I love that. I'm really curious about your relationship with your cinematographer, because it felt, I mean, I felt your gaze on this very subjective visual journey. It felt so connected to, I felt you guiding us. So were you two, h- how, how was that collaboration? I'm just curious. Like, was she someone you wanted to work with from the beginning? Did you find her? Just take us through that. Um... Yeah, well, I had never hired
0: a cinematographer before, so I met a lot of people, which was really interesting. I mean, I had someone who's a brilliant cinematographer tell me, I don't prep. And, I mean, you're laughing because you're probably filmmakers. I I didn't even know how insane that was. Um, <laughs> uh, and maybe one day, 15 years from now, 20 years, I'll be like, fuck it. Let's just go make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But at the time, that would have been insane for me. Helen um, has five children. Uh, I, she must be in her 60s. Um, she, I just, I hadn't seen her or really spoken to her except by WhatsApp um, until yesterday. When we did like an interview together about, on Zoom, about shooting the movie. Um, because she's always working. Mm. Um, she, okay, what, how where do I even start? She said to me before we started that she really believes in prep. That that's where freedom comes from. Which, of course, is true. And everyone knows that. But there's different degrees to actually living that. So, we had an interesting thing happen where oh well, there was a pandemic and, um
1: <laughs> an interesting thing happened,
0: and so we were prepping in this really interesting way for a long time over Zoom, where she was in Paris, and I was in new york and um we imagined with no locations um the scenes in our own unconscious, conscious, imaginary minds and talked about them and imagined how we would shoot them and what the light would look like and more than anything, really what the scenes were about. Because um, I'm sure you know as well as I do, working on something say like a dinner scene and there's six people around a dinner table and the director does not know what the scene's about and you shoot not only two Mm -hmm. sizes on everyone but then two sizes on everyone's pov of everyone else and you want to shoot yourself Mm -hmm. and you're like i I, (laughs) what's the scene about you know we really have to have all this coverage whereas maybe the scene is just really about all the rest of it is in the background and someone takes a sip out of another person's wine glass you could have just gotten on with it and so we were we really spent time understanding each other and what the scenes were about then we got on location and I have to say I shadowed a director on the deuce Mm -hmm. and I went location scouting with them and I was like this sucks (laughs) (laughs) I was like uh what time is it when I was scouting my own film, I could have gone on yeah. forever, you know. Like, like let's just go back to that bar one more time and yeah. just like you know. So we we found locations and then we did a ton of shot listing and I was like, and, and it was really amazing to. I learned so much from her. But I was like Helen, I'm an actress. I am never gonna walk in here with my actors and say, okay Jesse, yeah. okay Olivia. Ed Harris, you're going to start in this chair and then you're going to walk over to the window and then you're going to go to the typewriter because that's how I imagined it when I was alone in my room without you. Yeah. And um because when people have tried to do that to me it pissed me off. And um and I and she said, "Oh no no, do not worry. They will do exactly as you as you imagined," which was completely not true. Um but but because we had so deeply thoroughly understood each other and what the scenes were about. We were like totally playing jazz the whole time. Wow. And this like binder of shot list stuff, I'm I'm telling you, I never opened it. I would go
1: home and watch Great British Baking Show with my kids and fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never opened it. That, I mean, it, it, that makes so much sense to me. It's so interesting hearing you speak because to think that this was your first rodeo and clearly not because of your work as an actress like it's not you've I mean, been in you know what school. that's like yeah but still like these the, the technical aspects of like how and how to prep and all this stuff it's interesting it occurs to me that like you broke all the rules because you didn't know them in a really valuable way and then so there's this kind of like punk rock aspect to it which is like it's just purely emotional and like from the hip in a way that feels really liberated. And it's, it's interesting to think that like that takes a, maybe a very experienced partner or team around you to like allow for that jazz to happen. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think what I did when I was, because there's elements where I'm not a beginner and then there are certainly elements where I am. And in those places I did. Yeah. I did two things. I think I relied on these people I really respected and was really curious about, like Fonzie and, and Helen. And I had no experience, so I went – so, like, I really leaned on my unconscious, mm. like, my own mind because that was the only reliable barometer. And I didn't always agree with Helen or Fonzie, mm-hmm. you know. So it was just – it was, like, a nice – it was like my mind, and then these really interesting experts bouncing off
1: them. It's. I mean, I have to ask how supported you are, and, and I, I sadly we have to wrap up soon. I really could stay here all night. I have a million questions, but so many filmmakers in the audience, I'm sure, are thinking the same thing. Like you were clearly. Um, I don't want to say allowed but you, you made the film you wanted to make, clearly. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about that. Did you have to fight, or did you have financiers who just were amazing and brilliant and supported it from the beginning?
0: I mean, it was hard to get the money. Um, it was easier with Olivia, obviously, um, and and Jesse and Dakota, and th- I guess we probably went out with the three of them. Um, but that was hard. And that didn't surprise me. I mean, I, like I've been through that before. Yeah. Um, but then once we had it, it wasn't very much. And in a way, um, no. I felt really... I know this is unusual. But I felt really supported by the people who paid for my movie. Mm-hmm. I know that that is not always how it goes. Um, I wanted... Late in the game, I wanted to, I wanted to shoot on film. And... Um, that was like basically the only thing that they, they tried, we, we considered it was very, very complicated. We were on a Greek Island, like, you know, very hard. Um, and ultimately they were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, it's interesting because so much of the way I realized I work, I'm not sure how well it would work on film. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I, I don't like to cut. I, for example, that beautiful scene that I love with Jesse and Alba Roarwalker, uh, the hiker, mm-hmm. um, where they're all around that dinner table, the opposite of what I was talking about, about like two sizes on everyone's POV, yeah. just really i barely cut be like helen okay now let's move the camera over here and now we'll do a pass on basically jesse but okay we'll move over if the little girls are interesting you know and back on jesse and i don't care if the wine glasses aren't full i and you know what nobody gives a fuck okay mm-hmm. i think was helen operating or did you operating have a- wow yeah cool. she was operating cool. and that was also wait let me finish what i was thinking sorry, wait, wait, sorry. No, what was i saying i lost it um Uh, No, you don't like to cut, so film might have not been conducive, right? And also, I don't know about you, but I. This is interesting. I, the only shot I I was really tied to my kind of clamshell monitor. Um, I wanted to get in the room really close with them, but then hide because I know what it feels like to be observed um even by the director so I was often like crouched behind something with my clamshell monitor so I could feel them but I know on film that you don't really have access to the clamshell that way so you're kind of it's I I feel that seeing something even imagining a frame versus seeing the frame is absolutely different Mm -hmm. um so anyway, maybe it was a blessing. I, I really liked working the, the way we worked.
1: That's such an optimistic way to take that on because it's like it was a challenge that you could have been defeated by and frustrated by, and you ended up making lemonade out of it. And I, I think that's really, really inspiring. And I mean... The entire thing is so inspiring. It is clearly a dream to be directed by you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. Wait can we just say one thing about this? Because you're an actress also. I
0: I just do I I bet it's also great to be directed by you. I, I just wonder, I'm just curious. I've spent so much time as an actress with a lot of ideas. And a real, my interest often in what I was acting and also had to do with wanting to tell a story Mm. and so frustrated with how disinterested many people were, are, I think, in actors' ideas and how how you have to kind of like twist yourself to make it seem like you're not asking for what you're asking for and feel funny or Mm -hmm. very very sweet and in order to get only a small percentage usually of what it is you need artistically Mm -hmm. and like on my set I just wanted everyone's ideas you know I'm
1: sure you were the same I I mean the my nightmare would be a lack of ideas and a lack of opinions and people just saying like, where do you want me to stand? What do you want me to do? I think that would be terrifying. Yeah. It would be like, but we're dancing. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree. And I think that empathy based on experience is so valuable. And it's why I hope more actors direct films. And And it's, I think, exciting to be directed by an actor who's trusting you and understands that there is, it's not, Taking away power from the director to give the actor the opportunity to tell the story themselves—it's um, instead it just lifts the whole thing up. And I find it really thrilling when people just take the reins and go nuts with it. And I think that's the dream of the whole thing. And it's true—it's it's interesting how many people are not into it like that, and how many times you just feel your wings getting like clipped slowly the entire time. Um, I mean, Jesse and the little girls wrote "Peel It
0: Like a Snake." I mean, that's a line in the script, but they wrote that song. What
1: would you do without that song? I mean, it was like gold. That's amazing. Yeah. That I mean, they and directing children. We didn't even get into that because, like, they couldn't. I think because of the authenticity, because it was so clearly like the organic. Because you created the environment to allow for the organic chemical reaction of like real human beings feeling real things. It's why the film is sometimes like really unbearable mm. to experience i th- I mean, I know it's different for everyone, but like it is um, I found it at times like so viscerally mm. unnerving in a way that I really appreciated. It's like, yeah, make me make me feel things, and it's and it's so rare that something just like twists you up and and breaks you down and build you back up again. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys.
0: Thanks so much for joining me.
1: The Lost Daughter is streaming
0: now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company.